the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. God had faithfully dealt with the nation of Israel after the decades of them wandering in the desert wilderness. Now was their time to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. But they were to continue to love God and put God first once they settled into the land. Moses reminds them of their covenant to God and how to love Him supremely. Last we saw Moses revisit some of the civil and ceremonial laws that pertain to living distinct and separate lives. The Israelites were to have a specific diet. They were also to be generous givers unto the poor and to the Levites who served in the tabernacle. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 27. Every three years, you actually wouldn't have to come to the tabernacle because God wanted to ensure that all the local ministers were provided for too. Look at verse 27. And the Levite, because that's what the tithe would go for, to provide for, not only celebrate, but provide for those who were serving the Lord at the tabernacle. But not every Levite served at the tabernacle. There were too many of them. So verse 27, he says, And the Levite that is in your gates, you shall not forsake him, for he does not have a part or inheritance with you. So at the end of three years, you will bring forth all the tithe of your increase that same year, and you'll lay it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no part nor inheritance with you, And then also here it mentions the stranger, the foreigner, and the fatherless, the orphans, and the widow, which are within your gates. They can come and shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. You know, in the desert, the Levites, their camps, their various camps, they all surrounded the tabernacle. They were all right there. But once Israel would go into the promised land, the Levites, they didn't get their own possession. When they would take lots to say, okay, who gets this tract of land? Okay, that goes to the half tribe of Manasseh. Who gets this tract of land? Oh, that goes to Issachar. When they would do that, the Levites, they didn't get any tract of land. The Levites would be scattered throughout all the 12 tribes in order to teach and instruct them in God's law. They would be all throughout the 12 tribes. So they wouldn't have any land that they would be working and trying to make a profit on. Their job was to assist in the tabernacle, probably a few weeks out of every year. And then they would serve the local people on a regular basis, teaching them and instructing them in God's law when they're not working in the tabernacle, how would they and their families be provided for? And God says it would be by this third year tithe. So the first two years, your tithe would go to the tabernacle. Every third year, you'd give it to the local ministers there in your gates, in your city, okay? I love it here because he says, don't forget them just because they aren't at the tabernacle doing the big job. They're still serving you by teaching you God's law. So make sure you take care of them. As you can imagine, this would be a ton of food. So this also served as an addition to Israel's welfare system. Israel's general welfare system worked like this. When you were out harvesting in the field, if you dropped something, you could not pick it up. You had to leave it there for the poor. And they would have to come and get it, okay? Didn't come to them. You didn't gather it for them. They would have to come and get it. And we see an example of that in the book of Ruth, where she's out gleaning. She's picking up the stuff that's been dropped and shows you how much Boaz liked her because he told the guys, he said, make sure you drop a little bit extra for Ruth. 
He wanted to make sure she was taken care of. That was their general welfare system. But obviously, that may not meet every need. So every third year, you would bring your tithe to the gates of your city, and all the poor, all those who were less fortunate, they could come and they would be provided for through that generosity. When they were generous like this, God's blessing, he says, would rest on the work of their hands. I wish I was a much more generous person than I am. I've watched people who are very generous, and I just watch God continue to pour out his blessings upon them financially, because he knows they're not going to hold on to it tight when they get it. A lot of times the Lord says money my way, and I'm like, yeah, thanks, Lord. (laughs) I have friends who are just so generous, and when the Lord just keeps pouring, because he knows they're never going to hold on to it. And that was what he's saying here. He says, be generous, and I'll keep blessing the work of your hands. Now, sadly, Israel did forget being generous to the Levites. They did forget being generous to the poor, and God judged their work, and they had many difficult financial times. It's interesting, generosity to the poor is a characteristic of a God-fearing person. In Psalm 112, it's a whole psalm is dedicated to a God-fearing person. It says in verse 1, Praise you the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments. And then it talks about the blessings that God will bestow upon him, and then the character of that man. Well, in verse 9 of Psalm 112, it says this. What does a God-fearing man do, a God-fearing woman do? It says he has dispersed. It means to distribute abroad. He is given to the poor. That is a characteristic of a God-fearing person. And so I would ask you tonight, are you generous to the poor? Are you generous to God's ministers? Now, you might be saying, oh, here we go. He's going to tell us to give money. You know, and and I'm not saying that mean because you guys are so faithful here. The Lord has blessed us. Don't stop giving, but the Lord has blessed us. But we do need to address the question, does the New Testament teach tithing? Yeah, unequivocally it does. It's funny, Jesus, when he was dealing with the Pharisees, he said, he says, you know, you crazy Pharisees, he goes, you know, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel, two unclean animals. But obviously, you know, they they would be walking around and have a gnat flew into their throat, they would put their finger down their throat to get it out. They would make themselves vomit to get the thing out. The whole sermon's going to be about vomit tonight somewhere. But they would chew and eat a whole camel is what he's saying. What was his point? Well, he used the example of they would take all their little herbs and they would say, one for God, nine for me. One for God, nine for me. Here's some cumin, one for God, nine for me. But they would neglect the weightier matters in the word, which are showing mercy and and love and, and all these types of things. What's fascinating as he's explaining that to his disciples about what they're not doing well, he says, and when they tithe, which they should, Jesus confirms that. He says, this is something we should do. Paul, it's interesting, he even quotes Psalm 112, verse 9, to affirm the Old Testament principles for Christians. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9, he says, but this I say, he which sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So how should we give? Every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, nor even of necessity, like compulsion. Well, I got to do it. The pastor told me to. For God loves a cheerful giver. And here's the blessing God says. This is why you can be generous. He says, because God is able to make all grace, the word there, grace, refers to a gift from God. He's able to make all gifts abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency, having everything you need in all things, that you might abound to every good work. And then he says here, as it is written, what does a righteous man do? He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. So Paul reaffirms the Old Testament principle of generous giving, of tithing. He reaffirms it with one difference. In the Old Testament, they were required to give exactly a tenth. They were required to give a tenth, and it was not just a tenth of their income, but it was a tenth of everything, of their herds, of their crops, every harvest, a tenth of everything. On the other hand, in the New Testament, he says, as every man is purposed in your heart. Now, I think a tenth is a good place to start. But if the Lord tells you to give 5%, then obediently and faithfully give 5%. Without fail, 
The Lord tells you to give 15%. Obediently and faithfully, do that. But as you have purposed and committed to the Lord in your heart, do it regularly and do it faithfully. Why was it just every three years that they would do this? Well, three years kind of rounded things off. Every seventh year, they were not to farm their fields. Every seventh year, the fields were to be given a year off. And there was also other special things regarding personal finance that occurred in that seventh year. So let's go back to Deuteronomy and look at chapter 15. So you have two years, you bring your tithe to the tabernacle, one year for the local ministry and the poor, two more years to the tabernacle, year six to the local ministry and to the poor, and then year seven, you didn't take a harvest because at the end of every seven years, they were to let the land lie fallow. But they also were to do this. At the end of every seven years, you shall make a release. It means you will cancel all debts, all financial obligations. How does that work? Verse two. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor, which means nobody gets out of this. If the bill is big, the debt is big, or the debt is small, doesn't matter. Every creditor that lends anything unto his neighbor shall release it, shall cancel that debt. And he shall not exact it. He shall not require payment of his neighbor or of his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Even family is released. If you loan money to your uncle and, and he never paid you back, you got to forgive the debt. You got to cancel the debt. Cannot require payment. Now, why must they do this? Because it's not their release. It is the Lord's release. See, it's not you who are dropping the debt. It's the Lord who's dropping the debt. So if God isn't requiring the debt, then why would you? That's what he says. Now, you might be thinking, if you're a Jew in that day, go, but man, now I'm taking the loss then. Is that really true, though? I love Proverbs 19, verse 17. Obviously, this wasn't a proverb around when God gave this law. But clearly, the proverb writer, probably Solomon, he had it in mind. In Proverbs 19, 17, he says, He that has pity unto the, upon the poor lends unto the Lord. And that which he has given will he, the Lord, pay him again. Can I tell you a truth? God repays debt better than any man can. So you're not losing out. You come out ahead. This rule applied to everyone living in the land, but it did not apply to foreigners who were not living in the land. He says here, of a foreigner, you can exact it again, even if the seventh year comes. That which is thine with your brother, your hand shall release. You'll cancel the debt. Now the word there, foreigner, it's the same word for alien that was in verse 21 of chapter 14. That refers to someone who's just passing through, so like a traveling merchant. Israel's civil laws wouldn't apply to a traveling merchant because they weren't Israeli citizens. It's funny because people will accuse the Bible of racism. Oh, you forgive their debt, but the alien, the foreigner, you can't forgive their debt. No, why would you forgive a debt for somebody who's a traveling merchant that you're doing business with. That has nothing to do with this here. So this isn't racism like some would accuse the Bible of speaking. In fact, the next word here, brother, it doesn't mean physical brother. It means countrymen. So whether you were a Jew or a permanent resident Gentile living in Israel, you had to release the debt. It was only the traveling merchant that you didn't have to do that with. You could still conduct your normal business with them. Why did God give this law about canceling debt? Well, because the entire land was a gift from God. Being gracious to people would reflect their God who'd been so generous with them. And obedience to this would result in a better life for everybody because of God's blessings. He says in verse four, King James says save, which makes it sound like accept, but that's not the right translation. It actually means to the end or to the result. So why should they do this? To the end or to the result that there be no poor among you. For the Lord shall greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance to possess it. Anybody here have debt? Man, debt is not easy to get rid of, is it? That's why the Bible says don't do it. And if you're contemplating going into debt for something, don't. <laughs> wait, wait till you save up the money for it. I realize there are some things, you know, that are difficult to do that with. I would limit that to a home, you know, and maybe a vehicle. But even then, I would not necessarily say that you should just immediately go into that. Stay away from debt because it will keep you poor. 
So the idea here is, he says, if you do this, it will eliminate poverty for the most part in your country. Some economic systems are better than others, but because our world has fallen, every economic system puts people in a pickle. That's why the Bible says in the millennial kingdom, there won't be an economic system like that. It won't work that way. I see Christians sometimes are real gung-ho about capitalism or socialism or whatever, and I'm like, neither of those are biblical. I'm not saying either are bad. I definitely have a preference. But from a biblical perspective, one of them didn't work. Acts, they tried to do the commune thing. I'll let you figure it out. But none of those are like godly. Even the best capitalistic system will fail because of fallen man. Just as the idea of communism is great. Everybody lives the same and nobody's greedy. Problem is there's always somebody at the top who's greedy, keeping everybody else low. Because of our fallen world, any economic system is always going to put people in a pickle. People make bad business choices. People make bad business decisions. People don't make smart decisions with their finances at times because we're fallen. The idea here is God's saying your generosity by obeying this law would keep poverty to a minimum in Israel. And God says, I'll make up the difference for those who are owed money by making the land abundantly fruitful. But this was only true if they obeyed. Verse five, only if you carefully hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe to do all these commandments which I command you this day. For the Lord your God blesses you as he promised you. And you shall lend unto many nations, but you shall not borrow. You won't have to borrow. And you shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Listen, debt will make someone else your king and your master. And it's the truth of it. So the Lord says, if you're just generous to the poor, if you will cancel these debts at your own expense, I'll bless you. I'll make up for it. And I'll bless you to the point that you'll never need to borrow. It's interesting. He says, only if you carefully hearken, which means to listen while listening. In other words, it's not just the action, but your attitude that matters. Do you have a heart to obey? A heart that's willing to trust God's goodness and God's provision? That's the question we can ask ourselves too. Do I have a heart to obey God or do I do it just because I know it works? Now, having the right attitude was important because, as you can imagine, a person might be tempted to not help those in need if there was no promise to get it all back. Like, what if somebody came to you like three days before the year of release and said, man, can I borrow this much money? You're going, why? I'll never get a penny of that back. No, I'm waiting three days. Then you can ask to borrow it. He knew there would be a temptation. So in verse 7, he says, if there be among you a poor man of one of your brethren within any of your gates in your land, which the Lord God gives you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you you shall open your hand wide unto him and shall surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wants, that which he's lacking. Beware that there be not a thought in your wicked heart saying, oh, the seventh year, the year of release, it's close, it's at hand. And then your eye be evil. You have an evil thought against your poor brother. He says, don't do that, you know? Don't do that. If they didn't heed this warning, then God would have to deal with them for looking out for only themselves. For he says, guess what? If you do that and he cries unto the Lord against you, well, now it's become sin unto you. So he says, you shall surely give it to him and your heart shall not be grieved. It's the same word for evil in verse nine. He says, your heart's not gonna be evil when you give to him because that for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all you put your hand to do. He'll bless your work. He'll, he'll make up for the loss in your work. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. That's why I command you. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall open your hand wide unto your brother, to the poor, to your poor and to your needy in your land. While Israel's generosity would keep poverty to a minimum, there will always be people in need in this fallen world. And since God is compassionate and generous to us, his saints should be compassionate and generous to others. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the source of someone's complaint to God. Do you? 
I don't want some guy going to me, that jerk, you know, Lord, you know, I, I just needed some food and, and that guy thought I was going to spend it on booze and he wouldn't even give me a dollar. I don't want that to happen to me. Let's be those who are generous to those in need. Now, the seventh year didn't just affect monetary debt. It also affected service debt. You say, what's that? You ever heard someone make the joke and say, you know, you don't have enough money to pay for dinner and they make you wash the dishes? Kind of the same deal here. We don't do that in our culture. We just put it on the card. But in that culture, if you got into a place of debt where you would not be able to pay it back financially, you're like, the way my numbers work, I would not be able to pay this back. You could put yourself in servitude to work for someone for free to pay off the debt. And so now he's going to deal with that because every seventh year, that would change too. It says, and if your brother, verse 12, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman be sold unto you, that is a bad translation. It just means if he hires himself out to you to pay off his debt. There was no slavery allowed in Israel for that. If he hires himself out to you to pay off a debt and he serves you, he works for you for six years, then in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you, that whether he paid off the debt or not by his work. You're just supposed to let him go free from you, free from all financial obligations. When you send him out free from you, also, he says, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. Not only do you just go, okay, well, it's the seventh year, man. Have a good day. You don't owe me anything else. He said, no, no, no. Verse 14, you shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor where the grain would be, and out of your wine press. From that wherewith the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You know, it's interesting, the word there to furnish liberally, the root of that word means to adorn someone with a beautiful necklace. And so here it means you're to lavish someone with even more than they need. You don't just look at him and go, man, if I cut him loose now, he's got no food. Here, here's food for a day. He says, no, give him more than he needs. Give him more than he needs. Give him drink. Give him food. Give him from your flock so he can get started again, so he's not starting behind the eight ball and he has to go do it all over again. You do it out of your stuff. It's funny, people who say the Bible teaches slavery never look at that verse. I've never heard of slavery that ended like that for a slave. Never. Don't let anyone ever tell you the Bible endorses slavery. They're ignorant, all right? They're ignorant. They're quoting a couple of verses just to kind of make their point to you and make you feel like, man, maybe, maybe God does endorse slavery. Do not let anyone tell you that. God does not ever endorse the owning of people. Why were they supposed to do this? Verse 15, and you shall remember that you were a bondman. Now, this is a different word. This word actually means a slave, not a hired servant. This is a slave. You were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God, he redeemed you. He rescued you. He purchased your freedom. He redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing this day. They had no hope of escape in Egypt from their slavery, but God had compassion on them and he helped them. So they must be compassionate and generous towards those who are simply working off a debt. Now, there was an exception to this rule, but it didn't belong to the creditor. Look at verse 16. He says, and it shall be if he, the the servant, the hired servant, if he says unto you, I don't want to go away from you because he loves you and your family and because he is well with you. In other words, he says, I'm better off working for you. I always get in a financial mess when I'm working for myself. And he says, life is better here. I love you. I love your family. I love working for you. This life's good for me like this. He said, I don't want to go. I know it's the seventh year and you can release me, but I don't want to go. Well, then you had taken all, which is a sharp instrument. Usually they'd make holes in leather straps with it. And you'll thrust it through his ear into the door. So you'd put his ear against the doorpost and you'd boom, pierce his ear. And we don't know this from scripture here, but we know in other places they would put an earring there. He then shall be your servant forever. You become a willing bond servant for life. You become a member of the family where you're going to work for him and he just takes care of you. You're like a family member and that's how it works. And he shall be your servant forever and also unto your maidservant. So if it's a woman who's in debt, same thing, she can make the same choice. And it's interesting because the New Testament latches onto this term 
The word doulos in the Greek or bond servant in the New Testament. Paul uses it frequently to describe his service to the Lord. Now, why would he do that? Well, we were all slaves to sin, weren't we? But God had compassion on us. He didn't leave us on the slavery block. He sent Jesus to pay our ransom so we could be free. Now, we don't, with that freedom, just say, all right, I'm gonna go wherever I want, Lord. Do things my way again. No, we say to him, I love my master and I wanna serve him with my entire life. And we ask God to pierce our ear. We become his willing bond slave. In Psalm 40, verse six, the Lord says, it's a messianic psalm, and the Lord says about himself, he goes, you have pierced my ear. We know that that's the Lord speaking because Hebrews 10 verses six and seven quotes it in application to Jesus. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate bondservant who for love of us, but just as important, love of his father gave his life completely by going to the cross. So if Jesus gave everything, so should I, right? Now, like canceling a financial debt, the Israelites needed to guard their heart about forgiving one's servitude. It says, verse 18, and it shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you. For he has been worth a double hired servant to you in serving for you for six years. And the Lord your God shall bless you in all that you do when you do that. Don't think it's cruel or harsh that God's saying you gotta let him go free. Sometimes people approach obedience to God with the attitude that God's commands are unfair or unkind. But when we think of what he gave for us, how could we ever think that? He says here in verse 19, the very last law, he says, and all the firstling males that come of your herd and of your flock, you shall sanctify unto the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstling of your bullock, nor shear the firstling of your sheep. You shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year, every year, in the place which the Lord shall choose, wherever the tabernacle is, you and your family. So here we already knew that the firstborn of any animal always belonged to God. They could not use it for work. They had to bring it to the Lord, and it would serve as food for the Levites. And then you, here again, would have a big celebration with your family. It would be an event of worship when you would bring it to the Lord. But while you were in the desert, people would know if you got some wool from that animal first or used the animal for work before giving it to the Lord. I'm going to get good use of them before I give them to God. But when you're in the land, who would know that? You know, everybody would know it because they were camped right next to you. But in the land, you'd have your own property. Who would know? Just you and your family. And so he says here in verse 19 and 20, make sure you bring it to the Lord. What a great exhortation to us that obedience is about recognizing that God always sees even if other people don't see, right? I have heard it said that you can tell who a person really is by what they do when no one is watching. Am I the same person when people aren't watching? Let's be people of integrity, recognizing that God is always watching. There was one exception where you didn't need to bring your firstborn animal, verses 21 through 23. And if that firstborn animal has any blemish, or if it's lame, or if it's blind, or if it has any ill blemish, it's sick. It says, then you will not sacrifice it unto the Lord your God. You could never bring a sacrifice to the Lord that had a blemish. You shall eat it right there within your gates. And guess what? Anyone can eat of it. The unclean, if they're ritually impure, you can eat it too, just as the clean person. And you can eat it just like you eat the roebuck or the heart. Any other food you're allowed to eat, just eat it like this. The only thing you can't do is you cannot eat it with the blood. You don't drink the blood. You shall pour it out upon the ground like water. So, The animal had lost all of its ceremonial status because of the blemish, so the only thing that needed to be observed was not drinking the blood. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter 15 in our study tonight. But you know, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it said, for you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're to be different, just like Israel was to be different in the way we live. So that when people see us and they see our different behavior and they go, why are you like that? You know, you're always smiling. I, I hear that a lot. They're like, you're always smiling. And I will tell people, I say, because I serve an awesome God. He loves me. I have every reason to smile every day, no matter what's going on. Let's be different 
so that it sparks an interest in others and we can tell them about our great God. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, we realize as we read through a lot of these things, they don't specifically apply to us. We're not, we don't have these dietary laws. We don't offer animals to you, so those don't apply. And yet, Lord, there are principles here that reveal your heart, your will, your standard. And Lord, that applies. The heart behind these commandments we want to have. We want to be those who obey you even when no one's watching. We want to be those, Lord, who give generously and, and cheerfully, Lord, as an act of worship, even if it's just a dollar to someone in need. Lord, we want to be those who are holy, set apart, different, so that people see you in us. So Lord, we give our lives to you tonight, anew and afresh. To walk these things out, would you fill us with your spirit so we can do these things? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As people characterized by loving God and putting him first, we ought to be the most merciful and generous people. People that are distinct and different because we know and understand God's love towards us. A heart that truly longs to see God glorified and lifted high is willing to give to others liberally and cheerfully, for this is how God gave us His grace and mercy. We are a peculiar people. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.